Well, good morning, church. It is good to be with you this morning to worship with you and spend time together. I have needed that this week. I've been looking forward to Sunday because it's been one of... You ever have one of those tough weeks? I just had a tough week, and boy, it is good to be with you and to worship and to give that to the Lord, and uh, thank you for that privilege of standing and being with you. Um, Part of the reason, I'll be honest with you, part of the reason it's been a tough week is because I've had some really interesting and challenging conversations that have come about as a result of this sermon series. The sermon series that we're currently in, for those of you, if you're guests with us, good morning, welcome, so glad you're here. We are traveling through a sermon series on forgiveness. We are in our, is it ready, week four? Are we ready four weeks into this? Holy cow. We are in four weeks so far of forgiveness. We got one more to go. And we have been walking through and learning about how forgiveness is, is embraced and, and engaged in our life and what it means to live out the Christian calling of forgiveness. Um, And so this week, um, specifically this week, it's been an interesting week because I've had a lot of good conversations with people about some of the things we've talked about related to personally, related to forgiveness and how that has meant meant, uh, so much to them. And and even with that, how it's been challenging people uh, and, and new questions are kind of surfacing, new questions are bubbling to the surface. As we, as you and I begin to dig into forgiveness in our lives, a lot of stuff is kind of rising to the surface. And so I've had lots of good conversations, challenging and hard conversations, uh, when, when you ask me these incredibly deep and meaningful questions. So I've been getting all sorts of these heavy-duty questions all week long, and I'm, I'm grateful for them, and I figured, you know what, uh, this has been happening so much so that we need to, to take a little more time and specifically address uh, some of these questions. So this morning what I'd like to do, we do have an overall thematic topic of uh, does forgiveness last forever? Does forgiveness last forever? That is going to be one of our questions this morning. That's what we are going to be moving towards. But I felt it would be a good morning to do what I'm calling a forgiveness or forgiving Q&A. This is your forgiveness Q&A as we get into some of the questions that I've heard rolling around, that I've bumped into, that maybe you yourself have, have found yourself asking over these last couple weeks as we're talking about forgiveness. So y'all, y'all okay with that? We're going to do a Q&A this morning. I'm going to ask a question, spend a little time on it, and then we're going to move on to the next question, okay? And so the notes in your outline this morning, your sermon notes, are just really open, intentionally so, so that you can grab and take and pick and choose different tidbits uh, that are meaningful to you because some questions might resonate more than others with you. So uh, that all said, we're going to just dive in. I am going to stick a little stick a little closer to a script this morning because I want to be careful with my words uh, because a lot of these questions are really particular and there's a lot to them. We won't be able to cover everything exhaustively, but we'll do our darndest. So here's the first big question that I want to go back and kind of uh, dive into a little bit deeper. Last week, you got a chance to spend time together with me, and we talked about how forgiveness applies to others, right? And so we're going to go back and talk a little bit more about forgiveness as it relates to giving and extending forgiveness to others. Here is one of the big questions that I keep finding popping up with people. How can I forgive someone that I cannot get close to? examples, they are either deceased, they have passed on, they are no longer in contact with me, and I can't seem to figure a way to get in contact with them. Uh, The relationship is deteriorated to such a point that it's actually volatile or violent or discouraging so that we can't even sit down in a context of forgiveness. We can't even explore forgiveness because I can't sit in the same room with them. Um, They don't seek forgiveness. They're not looking for forgiveness. It's not on their radar. What do I do about that? Uh, Maybe uh, even, even since I've been 
writing this sermon and thinking about it, I would throw a couple others in there. Developmentally, what happens if they are not developmentally at a state where they can experience or understand forgiveness, uh, whether it's uh, through a variety of reasons, if they are at a place in time where simply, how do you deal with extending forgiveness and, and, and walking through that? So how can I forgive someone that I cannot get close to in order to really have that conversation? Um, there are actually two questions inside of this question. One question is, how do I extend forgiveness to someone I cannot get close to? And the second one that's a little more hidden and actually the more important one is, can I? Can I extend forgiveness to someone who I cannot seem to get close to? The simple answer to that question is yes. If you're asking yourself, can I forgive someone who is deceased, moved on, who I can't even sit in the same room with, if I can't even be close to them, can I forgive them? The answer is yes. You can forgive anyone because extending forgiveness is something that you do. You can forgive anyone because extending forgiveness is something that starts and originates in your person and, and moves from you to the other person. It is your choice, your decision, right? We talked about this last week, right? You have a choice. You can either forgive someone and begin to let go of the pain and the hurt and the damage that they've caused in your life, or you can hold on to that pain. You can hold on to that hurt. You can hold on to that damage. We have a word for it. You remember what the word is? Holding a grudge. Very good. You have the choice between holding on to forgiveness and really, really just kind of letting go of the pain, holding on to forgiveness instead, and letting go of the pain and the hurt, or you can hold on to the grudge instead. That is your decision. And their reception of forgiveness is not something that is your decision. Your decision is whether or not to extend forgiveness. I'll say it this way. The damaged party, the damaged party, the victim, consciously commits, consciously commits to no longer holding on to pain and hurt that the perpetrator has caused, thereby extending forgiveness. It is coming from the victim and moving outward, and that is the victim's choice. Simply put, you you are only able to do that which you are only able to do. You are only able to do that which only you are able to do. You have the choice to forgive or not forgive. Whether or not to receive that forgiveness is not your decision. The way that I describe it is forgiveness is a one-way street. It's coming from you and extending outward towards them. The hard part about this, and the reason that it gets confusing related to this question, is because we often confuse forgiveness with reconciliation. Forgiveness with reconciliation. Reconciliation is a churchy word, uh, but it is also used in a non-Christian secular context as well. And reconciliation has to do with where where a person, a victim, comes to a perpetrator, someone who has harmed them, they extend forgiveness, 
And then on the flip side, that forgiveness is received, it is embraced, and it is cherished. It is lived into where the relationship of both parties comes together and that which was broken apart begins to mend and heal and be made whole. Where you have that happening, that is what we call reconciliation. The Greek word is katalasso. It means literally to exchange. A definition that sometimes is used that I found is to restore someone to a favorable or friendly relation after a presumed wrong. So reconciliation is the exchange of forgiveness, the mutual commitment to healing. Reconciliation is the two-way street. Whereas forgiveness is you extending, one person extending, reconciliation is the back and forth. This is why you can forgive a deceased person or someone who does not grasp forgiveness. You can choose. It is still up to you. It is your choice of whether or not to proclaim forgiveness over them. And you can do that in a variety of ways. We talked about it last Last week, you can still, if someone is, is gone, someone's out of contact, you can say, Father, I want you to know, Heavenly Father, Jesus, I proclaim forgiveness over this person, and I am choosing to let go of the pain that they caused me. Even though they're gone, even though they'll never be able to receive that forgiveness in a way that they'll understand or know, for me, for you, Father, I am choosing to forgive the person that harmed me. And so you can let go even if someone is no longer in contact. The hard part is, if you wait to do that, if you wait to extend forgiveness, you are going to miss out on your chance to reconcile. You're going to miss out on your chance to reconcile with someone where the relationship is broken. If you wait too long, I hate to break it to you, we're all on a clock. We are all on a timetable. And you actually will hear stories of this where people will look back and they waited 50, 60, 70 years to extend forgiveness to someone and then that person, and then that person passes away and they are left with the, the, the hurt and the reality that they will never be able to reconcile because they waited to sit down and exchange forgiveness and approach healing. My encouragement to you Pursue forgiveness. Even if you're having trouble contacting them, knowing them, even if they're deceased, work in your heart towards proclaiming forgiveness over them. They don't necessarily need to, there's not, you cannot force them to receive forgiveness. That's not the important thing here. The important thing here is what's happening in your own spiritual walk as you heal from the pain that has been caused to you. Let me give you a really simple, silly example. I've had babies on the mind a lot lately. Some of you know that. So when a child is crawling around your living room and they have such a big diaper butt that they bang into the lamp that your grandmother gave you for your wedding and the lamp tips over and breaks and shatters... The child is at a developmental stage where they cannot conceptually understand forgiveness. It's a baby. They don't get forgiveness yet. But you are still left with a choice on whether or not to proclaim and extend forgiveness to this child. 
your forgiveness is not dependent on their ability to know, understand, or receive. Your forgiveness is dependent on your willingness to extend it. So, how can I forgive someone I cannot get close to? Yes, you can forgive someone you are not close to. Uh, How do I do that? By revisiting a lot of the things that we talked about last week. Dig out your notes, re-listen to that sermon. It applies to even people where you can't uh, get in contact with them. About writing a letter to someone who is deceased, proclaiming it with your mouth. Do Do it in church. That's why we're here. If you need a quiet moment just to forgive someone who's no longer, no longer here, take a moment in prayer and pray, Heavenly Father, I want you to know, I am Father, I am forgiving this person. And work in my heart to heal and to make new as I let go of the pain they caused me. That's extending forgiveness. Okay, next question, here we go. What do I do when someone demands that I forgive them? This happens a lot more than you think. What do I do when someone demands that I forgive them? Um, This is for uh, those of you who have been in situations last week where you were sitting with your spouse and you were nudging them the whole sermon, like, listen, listen, you're supposed to forgive me already, right? And we've kind of done that before. We've done that before where you are asking, you know, you know that you've made a mistake. You've said, I'm sorry, and you need, your forgiveness is needed. And so you come to that person and say, hey, you need to forgive me. You need to forgive me. That's like, we even say that. We need, you need to forgive me. We use that like phrase. You need to forgive me. And what essentially we are doing is that we are demanding forgiveness from somebody. Now, if you are on the receiving end of that demand, what do you do about it? Simple reality is that you continue to work towards forgiveness. You do. You, you keep working towards forgiveness. You work through your emotions. You come in prayer before God. You ask God to help forgive and heal and move in your life, which he will do. I promise you, he promises you, if you come before him and ask him for his help, he will show up and he will help move you towards forgiveness. It is a process. It is not always a quick process, but you continue to move towards forgiveness, okay? When you are ready to forgive, then... You forgive, just like we talked about last week. That said, for those of you who are foolish enough, this is one of those moments where I get to do this. For those of you foolish enough to actually demand forgiveness from someone, I have a word for you. Stop. Stop. You cannot force anyone to forgive you by reminding them of their Christian duty to forgive, by calling attention to their Christian responsibility to work towards forgiveness. You cannot force someone to forgive you. It is one of the most unhelpful and foolish things that you can do. This is why. If you're taking notes, pull out the pen and write this down. Demanding forgiveness delays forgiveness because you are causing fresh damage. Demanding forgiveness 
actually delays that person's ability to forgive you because you are heaping on them fresh damage. You are pouring onto them additional hurt, additional pain, additional frustration that they now have to work through. You have committed the offense, you have disrupted the relationship, as such you have no right to demand anything in the situation. Christ alone, Jesus Christ alone can demand forgiveness. And it is Christ alone who can confront someone withholding forgiveness. That's Jesus' job. That's what he does. He comes close to us, extends forgiveness himself, and then mixes with our emotions and our spiritual life and our relationships. And he is the one to say, hey, how are we doing? Are we work, working towards forgiving this person? What's the holdup? That's what Jesus does. Not you or I. God in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit by way of Scripture and the Christian around them, the Christian community will work on a person's heart to move them towards forgiveness. But in the meantime, be patient. Be quiet. Be repentant. Do not expect forgiveness and do not demand forgiveness from somebody. Instead, silently, quietly hope and pray that God will work in that person's life to repair and heal the damage that we've caused. Instead of demanding forgiveness, pray that the person might work through the pain we've caused and reach forgiveness. Enough said. Here's a challenging, challenging question. Uh, when I've chosen to forgive, I sometimes I struggle to forget. What, what do I do about that? What do I do when I have consciously extended forgiveness to somebody and yet I keep bumping into situations and circumstances where that keeps that pain and that hurt, I keep getting reminded of that, right? That keeps popping up again. That keeps coming back into my consciousness and into my sight and I got to deal with it all over again. Extending forgiveness, something important for you. Extending forgiveness does not necessarily negate the consequences and the collateral damage. Extending forgiveness to someone does not necessarily negate the consequences and the collateral damage. The example I have for you is actually a story. It's a story that I was given and entrusted by my seminary professor. His name was Professor Stephen. He's a big, big, tall guy, big, tall guy, big, broad shoulders. This guy should have been a basketball player. Instead, he was a nerdy professor. I loved the guy. He reeked of cigar smoke and, like, that leather binding, and he'd walk around, and he always had, you know, the, the coat, and he'd always, he was just a great professor. And I remember sitting in Professor Stevens' class, and he told us a story about this question. This is the story that he gave to me. I'm now giving to you. It comes out of his own personal life. When he was a youth, he was a young man in college age as he's trying to 
work through towards becoming a professor of theology, systematics professor. Uh, he had his summers free, so what do you do as a poor college kid during your summers? You, of course, try to find yourself a job. So this guy tries to find himself a job. And he found a job by working as a roofer and painter with a man in his 50s, close to retirement. The man's name was Al. Al had his own small uh, van that he'd take around, and he'd have his paint stuff in the back, right? Independent contractor, doing his own thing. Really hardworking man, worked his whole life, good church-going man. And Al had it in his heart to hire Stephen for his summers when he was off. And so Al made that decision because Stephen was exceptionally tall, Stephen, he's like 6'6", I mean, he's a tall guy, and uh, he had the wingspan to reach the spots that Al couldn't. Simple enough logic, I like that, right? And then additionally, he figured that, that Stephen would be a good hire because Stephen showed up to church on Sundays. I like this Al guy. He figured he'd be a good hire because Stephen every week was sitting in the pew and they would take communion together and that that, 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 that was their connection is that through church, Al hired Stephen. And so Stephen worked for three summers for Al and back in those days, Stephen would, would, would pull up in the van, they'd be in the van together and Al would hop out and he'd go to the front door and he'd meet the person, greet and talk to the person and Stephen in the meantime would pull out the paint and he'd pull out the supplies and he'd pull out the ladders and he'd set out those old wooden ladders, you know what I'm talking about, right? Not the fancy ones that collapse down, but the old ones, that the wooden ladders, and he'd set up two side by side, right? This is how it was. And then you'd take a wooden board, and what'd you do? You'd feed it through, right? And so you could stand on the wooden board between the two ladders. And so Stephen would be setting all that up while Al did his thing, and then Al would come back out, and, and Al would climb up the ladders that Stephen had put up, and he'd step onto the board, and Stephen would hand him the paint, and they'd work the day. On his third summer, working for Al, Stephen did not find the wood rot that was inside of the board between the two ladders. And so Al came out from the house, meeting and greeting, talking to the person, came to the ladders, climbed up the ladders, stepped onto the boards, and as Stephen was handing paint to him, Al fell through the boards. He broke his spine. He could never walk again, was wheelchair-bound. He was paralyzed from the neck down. He was disabled. He had to enter into retirement early, which meant that he was fairly impoverished as he was not monetarily ready. Al forgave Stephen. They reconciled. But every Sunday at church, Stephen was reminded of the reality of what had happened in his role when Al and him went up for communion together. Forgiveness and healing will not necessarily hide the scars or the consequences this side of heaven. I'm sorry, I wish it wasn't the case, but it is. 
what I find unique about their story particularly is that for them, they would meet in church, and that's where he'd be reminded. Some of us don't have that luxury of when things are called to mind. We're not standing in a place that is proclaiming forgiveness. But for them, they were able to revisit and remain dedicated to forgiveness between one another and dedicated in reconciliation between one another as they took communion together every week. This dovetails into our final question, does forgiveness really last forever? The answer is yes and no. Yes and no. To clarify, does human forgiveness, forgiveness between people, last forever? Hopefully. But it's up to you. Human forgiveness lasts as long as we remain dedicated to it. For as long as we choose it. For as long as we hear and respond to the clear call of Christ to be Christ-like and extend forgiveness to others. Forgiveness must be revisited. It must be renewed. And when we are reminded, we must be rededicated and committed in our decision to forgive. Human forgiveness between people lasts as long as we continue to reflect God's heart of forgiveness for us. That's how long it lasts. It's really up to you. Now, does God's forgiveness last forever? Yeah. Yes. Yes, it does. Let me be clear. When God looks at you, When God looks at you through God's eyes, he no longer remembers your sin. God is extending forgiveness to you, and he desires, he longs for you to be reconciled to him, to embrace that forgiveness, to live into that forgiveness, to to, to, to see and understand and to know his love and his care and how much he cherishes you. God longs for that, to be reconciled to you and to me and to this world because he is extending forgiveness to you. He no longer remembers your sin. That is one thing God is able to do in a unique way. Forget something completely, utterly, and permanently. The Bible says it this way in Isaiah 43.25. Write this down if you're taking notes. Isaiah 43.25. Find this in your Bible app and highlight it later. Find it in your regular old Bible and circle, scribble, and highlight it, okay? Isaiah 43.25. I, yes, I alone as God, I will blot out your sins for my own sake. I choose to blot out your sins. It is my decision and I choose to do that. And I will never think of them again. Another translation says it this way, I... I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. 
God forgives you. Every day, all day, he is extending that forgiveness to you. He loves you. And he longs to be reconciled to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is another one to write down. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their mistakes against them, and in turn entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. God reconciles the world to himself, no longer counting our mistakes and our failures against us, and now he gives us that same chance and ability to do it with others. God's forgiveness, indeed, it lasts forever as does his love for you and desire for you. Now we, as his people, let us go and do likewise. Forgive and be reconciled to both Christ and to others. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this is our prayer this morning. That you would move in our hearts and our lives. That you would move us towards forgiveness. That you would empower us to live out forgiveness. That you would help us reconcile with those with whom we have broken relationship. And Father, thank you that you would choose to reconcile with us, extend forgiveness, and invite us to embrace your forever love. It is through Christ we pray. Amen. This song um, is new for us, uh, but it's a perfect song that talks about what we cannot do as humans. We cannot forgive but Christ can. So I invite you to listen at the beginning and then I'll invite you to join in with us.